0: 1 Peter chapter 1, 1 Peter chapter 1, and uh, we've got a a larger passage to cover this morning, but I think you're ready for it. So 1 Peter 1, 14 through 25. Just a little less than two years ago, so December uh, 26th of 2021. Some of you may remember it was a a Sunday, we were still uh, meeting in uh, in the gym at that time, and uh, actually during our gathering time is when my mom uh, passed away and went in to be the presence uh, of her Savior uh, at that moment and uh, found out uh, shortly after church uh, received the news and certainly was very uh, heartbroken at the news but yet also joyful that uh, she could be with her Savior who she loved so much and served in her life and it uh, was a great testimony too. But one thing that became more we became more aware of during that whole process is uh, just as far as like in hospitals and, and all of this is the importance of um, and the danger, I guess, of, of infections. A couple of months prior to that, she'd gotten a little sore on her ankle, and long story short, it, the doctors think that she got staph infection through that sore on her ankle that ended up invading a good part of her body, and the antibiotics were not uh, capable of fighting off and ended up dying of a, just a widespread staph infection. As Christina has served as a nurse this last year and has come home and told stories, and, and as we learn more, even more about the, the medical industry We are aware that the hospital, there's a lot of great things that happen at hospitals, but then there's dangers also in the hospital, and and one of those is infections. Notice this next uh, slide here. Sterile processing problems, HAI, which is hospital-associated infections, and surgical site infections, SSIs, uh, is a huge problem. So much so, this next statistic is pretty crazy, and this was almost six years ago. It'll be up on the screen as well. Notice this. The U.S. healthcare system spends $9.8 billion every year to treat the top HIAs, one-third of which are from SSIs, or surgical site infections. Dirty instruments can easily cause these surgical site infections. Most likely, I would imagine, because of Christina's experience of being on the floor and and working, you know, at a hospital after her recent surgery, she went to do some physical therapy. And she came home after one of the sessions as we picked her up after, you know, the session. Uh, She's not driving yet. But she said, Dad, she said, "Uh, I wasn't too excited. My therapist today was like touching all over my knee and my incisions that aren't completely closed up. And she didn't have gloves on. And I'm concerned about infection. And I was like, rightly so. <laughs> we, we, we don't want infection to come in the body. So in the medical world, when we think about purity, when we think about cleanliness, when we think about things being sterile, we highly value that. In fact, some hospitals uh, give incentives for their nurses and medical staff, uh, the number of times that they pump you know, the hand disinfectant as they go out of the rooms, and sometimes there's incentives, even financial incentives for those things. And uh, so much so that sometimes, you know, nurses will ask other people in the room, hey, can you, can you pump this when you go out too? Like, okay, everybody's doing it. We're at a hand sanitation party. But so we're, we're doing this because we appreciate the cleanliness. But yet when we think about spirit in a spiritual sense, when you hear the word holy, the command, the challenge to be holy, oftentimes we have a negative connotation at that. Oh, goodness, man, it's legalistic. Pastor, you know, this church is just, you're going to talk about being holy and, and all this, these checkboxes. But when understood in the right context and the motivation that our Heavenly Father has for us to be holy as He is holy, this command ends up being a very beautiful and rich and life-giving command. So we've been looking at you to find an active participant in God's plan. This is just one more thing that we add to the profile of an heir of the living hope. So last week, we looked at being prepared for action. This is is a moment where Peter, in this passage, he's reflected on salvation and the living hope and the glories of that and how it's guarded in heaven. And then we get to verse 13. He's like, okay, now get ready for action. We, we've got to do something, and there's imperatives all throughout the book of First Peter, almost one for every three verses. This is a letter of action. So we looked at that last week of prepare your mind for actions, and then to set your hope, as you read the, the summarized verses there, to set your hope fully, not just partially, not just kind of when it's convenient, but to set your hope fully on Jesus Christ. Last week, we looked at Jesus Christ didn't hold anything back from us. Or for us. He's, he's gone through all of these things for us. And now we have the opportunity to set our hope fully on him. The next part of being active participant in God's plan we find here in verse 14. Strive to be holy. Strive to be holy. Notice again, as obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. As humans, we don't really enjoy being considered or called, you know, ignorant but Peter's basically saying, "Listen, listen, uh, you know, be obedient, children. Don't go back to the ignorant things, to to the things of before Christ, where you didn't have a complete understanding and you didn't have the spiritual life that Christ has given you. Don't go back to those things. Be obedient, children." In Ephesians two two, in contrast. Paul talks about sons of disobedience. Notice the verse, it'll be on the screen, in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. So Peter's saying, in contrast to that, because of all that we've already looked at of the, the living hope and that it's guarded in heaven and, and that we didn't deserve this, it's unperishable, it can't be contaminated. Because of that, prepare for action and strive to be holy, to be obedient children. It goes on in verse 15. But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. So first of all, strive to be holy. Why? Because God is holy. We see God's holiness in this passage and all throughout the Old Testament and the New Testament. It is part of who he is. It's the the essence of God that he is holy. So we're to strive to be holy because God is holy. Now when Peter says, since it is written, you should be holy, this points back to Leviticus chapter 11 and verse 45. For I am the Lord who brought you up out of the land of Egypt to be your God. You shall therefore be holy for I am holy. Now interesting, in scripture, we, we don't find phrases like, um, you know, love, 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 God is. But we do find phrases like, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts, Isaiah 6.3. We find it again in Revelation chapter four and verse eight. The four living creatures, each of them with six wings, are full of eyes all around and within, and day and night, they never cease to say, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. Holiness is a, a very, very essential part of God's attributes and of his character. Titus 2.11, for the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people. Then notice what comes next. Training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age. So this is Paul and Titus here, Peter in, in 1 Peter 1, and then Paul and Titus and other passages They're encouraging, challenging and reminding us, listen, God is holy, you're to be holy and we're to train ourselves, we're to grow in this holiness to be more like him. Now imagine this, if God was not completely holy, then we couldn't fully trust in his love. We talk of, of like jealousy among us as humans, as men and women, and usually within that aspect of jealousy, there's some at least portion of some selfishness, of of, of imperfection, but when we talk about a jealous God, he can be jealous and also selfless because his holiness means that his love is perfect. What he wants for us is the best, so he can be a jealous God for us and have no sin whatsoever because he is jealous for us as a holy God. We're also to be holy in anticipation of God's review of our works. So this is God's justice. Just look at God's holiness. That could be a whole series in and of itself. But now we, we go next to 1 Peter 1.17. And we see that we're to strive to be holy in anticipation of God's review of our works. His justice. And if you call on him his father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds conduct yourselves with fear, with reverence throughout the time of your exile. Now, I hope you didn't miss this. when In the very first phrase there, and if you call calling him as father. So being a child of God is a, an awesome privilege that I can look to him as father. And some of you may remember December 3rd, Uh, as Don Shire talked about his experience in Israel and when he saw the little boy uh, run to his dad and say, Abba, what a blessing that we can run to our heavenly father at any moment. Say, Abba, my father. Being a child of God, the father should lead us then to live humbly and reverently before him. Peter says, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile. He, He had called them elect exiles, So it was part of God's plan. This wasn't just like, oh man, you know, God messed up and now his children are in trouble. No, this was part of God's perfect and sovereign plan. And Peter's encouraging them, even through this, look to your father and conduct yourselves in this fear of the Lord and this reverence of him. We see an an ongoing evaluation as part of this process. We've just finished a semester. Some have a day or two left. Uh, I know these, these two guys up here said, yeah, tomorrow I've got something. And then Tuesday is mainly like party day. Uh, but some of you have a little bit left. Some have finished. But as part of the school process, there's ongoing evaluations. Get progress reports and uh, mid-semester grades. And our kids often are anxious to pull up the, the app on our phone and say, okay, well, you know, what do I have? Sometimes that brings happiness, sometimes it doesn't. But there's ongoing evaluation. At work, sometimes there's quarterly, head to head reviews, and you have to meet with your supervisor, your boss, and you go over things. Okay, what went well this quarter? What didn't go so well? How can you improve? There's ongoing evaluation. Same thing with our Father. Notice Titus chapter 2 and verse 13. Waiting for our blessed hope. The appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, and that's, this is awesome, it's a reference to Jesus' deity, the, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. So as we wait for his appearing, then we are conducting ourselves, we're to live in this, in this pursuit of holiness to train ourselves in godliness for his glory. It's not so I can lift ourselves up, it's not so our church can go, yeah, you know, we're the holiest church around. But so we can say, we're becoming conformed to, our, to like our Savior. We want to strive to be holy because God is holy. Then 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 9, Paul says, so whether we are at home, and the, the idea is like at home in our bodies, which is like living here on earth, or away, meaning that Death has come and now we're with with Christ. So whether we're at home or away, we make it our aim, present tense, to please him. This is the the ongoing evaluation. I do have the blessed hope, the promise. I do know that I'm an heir of the living hope and nothing can change that. I'm secure in Christ's hands. But that doesn't mean that I can just live however and just say, well, by the grace of God, I can do whatever I want to do and lay my head down at night and not care. Paul even brings up that question. He says, because of God's grace, should we sin all the more? And basically answers his own question. Say, how absurd. Of course not. We're to strive to be holy because God is holy. And and we anticipate his review of our works. The ongoing evaluation. But then also the the final exam. What what eventually he will do in in the future. So now we've read 2 Corinthians 5.9. Notice the next verse, 2 Corinthians 5.10. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. The idea of evil here really has more of the understanding of, of worthless, of, of useless. And that comes out more in some of the passages like 1 Corinthians three, ten through 15, when we see that our works are uh, evaluated by fire and that which has been the, the gold and the silver, that lasts, the hay and the stubble, it passes away, it doesn't last, it's not a biting fruit. So it's evaluated to see, okay, what, what things were worthless, useless, and then what was truly valuable and for God's glory. This is the final exam. We also are familiar with the, this conversation. Came up uh, Friday, I believe, as Audrey came home from college, and uh, we got a notification and a, an a email, and and uh, she had, you know, uh, gotten onto the president's list, I believe. And so we were talking about that, and and uh, Jessica said. I don't think I was ever on the president's list, but I was on the dean's list, and so we were looking up, okay, what kind of GPA do you need to have for this and for that, and there's all kinds of awards that we kind of get at the end of semester or end of year awards. An athleticism award was given out, you know, recently here at Northwest Classical Academy, and there's, you know, these different awards that to the end, it's like, okay, now's the time to be recognized and to get the awards. Second Corinthians 5.10, we see that there will be a day where God will evaluate. It won't be a condemnation that he'll decide, okay, were you good enough to come into heaven? But rather, where, what was the motivation? Was it abiding fruit? And how can I recompense? How can I reward you? And I will reward you for those works that pass the test. We're looking forward to that final exam. But also we're to strive to be holy as a response to being rescued from destruction being rescued from destruction. First 1 Peter 1:14 1, again, as obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. So we are on a path to destruction. We are on a path to failure. And then jump to verse 18, 1 Peter 1, 18. Knowing that you were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, But with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. He was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last times for the sake of you. Paul puts it this way in Titus 2.14, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. We were ransomed, we were redeemed, bought back. And so as a response, we should strive to be holy. We've seen God's holiness, we've seen God's justice, but in this passage, man, God's love just shines bright and reminds us, this is where you were, but this is where you are now because of the precious blood of Christ. Let me illustrate it this way. What do you think about when you see this picture? Yard sale, overwhelming yeah it's like oh no we've done this many many times probably too many how many enjoy going to yard sales garage sales flea markets goodwill oh god love you amen okay goodwill everyone's like yeah all right so um yeah i i kind of get the feeling of overwhelming but as i began to date kim back in the early 1990s Uh, One of the things that her dad really loved to do was go out on Saturday mornings and find yard sales and garage sales. So he would actually get a physical paper, newspaper, on Friday, look in the classified section, and find the, the, the treasure spots in middle Georgia. And so the romantic date that I would have sometimes with Kim on Saturday mornings was being invited to going to the yard sales and garage sales with her and her parents, Woo, <laughs> yeah, that was great. But I, I did enjoy being with her, right? So I went. Other times it was like, hey, David, you wanna come out and come over and we're gonna work in the yard all day. Okay, I'll be there. I wanna be with Kim. So we would start to go around to these, to these yard sales and garage sales and I, I did not know the art of yard sailing. So Kim's dad began to train me in the art of yard sailing. I mean, if I saw something, I'd be like, oh, man, this is cool, how much is this? Okay. And I pay the money. And he's like, no, David, come come here. Come here. Let me show you a few things. He said, you pick it up. You just kind of flip it around in your hand. You don't get any committed look on your face, okay? So you just look at it. You see if there's any scratches, any tears, any dents, any defects. And if it's, if it's for a dollar, you offer 50 cents. I mean, like max. Really? Yeah, yeah, 50 cents. Go try it. I'm like, okay. And he's over there. You can kind of watch him. I pick up something non committed in my mind. I'm like, man, this is amazing. I'll go over and I'll say, it's for a dollar. Would you take 50 cents for it? And then, you know, if they say, 50 cents, I mean, come on, a dollar's already cheap. Then he would train me. All right, then you, that's when you point out the defects. Kind of hold up and say, but I mean, look at the dent here. And it's scratched. I mean, it's torn. If I don't buy it, it's probably going to go to Goodwill or the dumpster anyway. Are you sure? You don't want to take 50 cents? And then if they say, no, 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 I really can't. I mean, a dollar, (laughs) that's all that I can do. Then the next training was, all right, David, you just set it down and walk away. You don't show any remorse. You don't go like, oh, man, I'm so disappointed. You just set it down and even say something like, well, I didn't really think I needed it anyway, but, you know, put it down and walk away. And then oftentimes, the owner will be like, all right, all right, all right, come here, come here, all right, 50 cents, going to go to the trash anyway if you don't buy it, so go ahead and take it. Anybody done that? Right? Some of you are good negotiators, right? You know how to do it. That training came into to, it was really valuable to me for our, our time in Brazil because I learned to barter. I learned to like say, "Oh, are you kidding me? You're asking this much, and I'm going to do this much." And you just go back and forth. Now I don't really enjoy garage sales, but still, I learned some things. Jesus did not do that for us. Jesus didn't look at us and go, "I'm going neg- to negotiate a deal." I mean, David is sometimes he's impatient. David can be too perfectionist. David, this Kim can do this. Christina's man, Audrey's this. Mike is it, it, April. Oh, it, you know, John, Jeff, all, all of these, all of the, and then go and say, "Hey, I'll do this for so and so to be redeemed." Now we see that he he pursued us. He was not ashamed. He he loved us. And it says, because of his rich and abundant love for us, he gave all that he had, the precious blood of Jesus Christ. Can you imagine with me if you went to a yard sale this afternoon, and they said, yeah, so this is for a dollar. And you said, hey, well, I don't have a dollar, but I have a pint of blood. Would you take that? Can you imagine? The owner would be like, a pint of blood? Well, yeah, because it's so valuable to me that I'll, I'll give a pint of my blood for this. Notice some of the verses that we see that Jesus did for us. But even before that, um, think, think with me about some of the descriptions that Peter used. Our former ignorance. He talked about our lawlessness. He said ransom from the futile ways that we inherited from your forefathers. And then even Ephesians 2, I'm just going to kind of run through some of the terms. If you want to try to find them through the first part of Ephesians 2, feel free later. It's an awesome passage to read through. But some of the descriptions that we have or, or in essence, some of the defects that we had as as we were kind of laying there on the sidewalk is we weren't really worth anything. We didn't deserve to be redeemed. These things were true of us, dead in trespasses and sins, Ephesians 2.1. Deceived by Satan, sons of disobedience ones who live according to the passions of their flesh and the desires of their body. We're called in Ephesians 2, children of wrath, meaning that because God is holy, because of our sin, apart from Jesus Christ, we're not children of obedience, we're not sons of obedience, we're children of wrath because of God's holiness and his justice. We're also called uh, people who are trapped behind a wall of hostility, We're separated from God, Ephesians 2 says, without hope, far off from God. Now notice with me in Ephesians 2 and verse 4 what we see. But God. Would you repeat those two words? Some of you know me and know that there's two of my favorite words in Scripture. So repeat it with me. Just humor me, okay? Here we go. One, two, three. But God. Caleb, would you stand up for a second and open your jacket to turn around so everybody can see? Yes. Yes. Perfect. All right, give him a hand. All right. Fantastic. We did not rehearse this. I did not ask him to wear the t-shirt, but as he came in, I said, man, Caleb, where'd you get that shirt? That's awesome. So, but God. So we have all of these defects, all of these reasons that we're not really worthy of Christ's love, but then it says, but God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us. Even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. Raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. And then verse 7. So that in the coming ages, he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. Man, I'm so thankful that Jesus didn't look at me and kind of flip me around and go, you know, I, it's here or there. For me, if David is a child of God or not, it doesn't matter a whole lot. No, I see that he, because of the richness of his mercy and his abundant and great love, he gave his life for me on the cross. He shed his blood for me on the cross so that I could be ransomed. I could be redeemed for him. That gives me a motivation to, in response to that, to strive to be holy So no longer does this seem to me as like, man, this is legalistic and what a burden that I have. But but as I look at God, and say, man, because God is holy, because Christ, out of his holiness and out of his justice, because of that, then he sent Jesus to to fulfill the love action of dying on the cross. That motivates me to live for him, to become holy for him. How great is this love? Well, we've already seen it. 1 Peter 1, 18 and 19 again knowing that you were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. So if you're a believer today, he freed you from being in a spiritual state of death, Ephesians 2 says, that we were enslaved by our sin. But if you're a believer in Christ, if you're a follower of Christ, and a, a, a son of God, a, a saved, a redeemed person, he has freed you from that. Ephesians 2.8, for by grace have you been saved through faith. This is not your own doing, it is the gift of God. Not a result of works, so that no one may boast. It wasn't a process that I went through. That is true legalism. It wasn't that I'm doing all these things so that I can earn favor. No, it's because of God's great grace and his mercy and love. It's a gift. Then jump to Ephesians 2.14. For he himself is our peace. I'd like to repeat that with you as well. All right, ready? For he himself is our peace. Here we go. One, two, three. For he himself is our peace. That is beautiful to me. As we see all over the world wars and and not having peace and... Big efforts to try to negotiate peace deals and they fall through, and and our nation is not at peace. Metro Atlanta is not at peace, but we see he himself is our peace. It's one of the huge motivations that we chose the name One Hope Church. There is no other hope. The one hope of Jesus is enough. That's the hope that we have, and that's the hope that we can proclaim. He is our peace, who's made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. And then notice verse 16 of Ephesians 2. And might reconcile us both to God in one body. How? Through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. So we've seen God's holiness, we've seen God's justice two attributes that if those were the only two that we could look at, man, we would be in a sad state of affair because we don't deserve anything after that. In fact, one one person I talked with this last week said, we all, every single human deserves to die for their sins. I'm like, I agree with you. I'm not not gonna argue with you about that. But because of his great love then, Jesus Christ came and died on the cross and shed his blood. Notice, Notice this next slide. So the cross is where God's holiness, his justice, and his love meet. Because of God's holiness, there is no other way. We can't, like, earn our salvation. We can't try to be good enough. We'll never be good enough. We'll always fall short. All of us have sinned. So because of God's holiness, because of his justice, he can't make exceptions for Mike, but not for me, or for Tessa, but not for Andrew. He can't do this. So because of his holiness, because of his justice, there has to be the wrath of God upon sin. But because of all that, then he himself came and was the payment And out of his great love and his abundant mercy then offers the gift of salvation. So the cross is where all of these things meet and that's why it's beautiful to us. We see in Ephesians 2.10, what should our response be then? For we are his workmanship, created in Jesus Christ for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. As a response to God's love, then, then we are, should be motivated to, man, God, I, I want to serve you. I want to give back my life to you. Not to, again, try to earn or even keep my salvation. I could never do that. But I want to do good works for you. Paul, again, in Romans, puts it this way. Romans 12, chapter, uh, chapter 12, verse one. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a what? Yes. Living Sacrifice present tense striving to be holy in response of the love that he has for us this isn't a one time thing well yeah well, many years ago i prayed the prayer okay well great but but what about now has your life been transformed are you are you serving your savior so we see that this is a response to his Great love. And then Romans 12, 2. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Peter then goes to a specific area that for some of us, and for me included, sometimes is not an easy area to play out. So as we pursue to be holy, as we contemplate God's holiness and His justice and His love and how I should respond to that, Peter says, okay, one of the, the most evident manifestations of this, I'm going to show with you in the next verse, verse 22. It says this having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth, get this, for a sincere brotherly love. Love one another earnestly from a pure heart. Right, So you're going to be an active participant of God's plan. You ready for action? Have you set your hope fully on Jesus Christ? Are you striving to be holy? Then, I'm going to t- then Peter says, then listen, one of the evidence of that should be a sincere brotherly love. You should pursue this and showing this love. Why? First of all, because God loved us first. I, can't, I don't just muster this love up. I'm not just this like loving person. No, it's because God loved me that, that through me now and through the Holy Spirit, I even have the capability to love other people. Outside of that, I don't have a chance. But because God loved me first and has redeemed me, he's ransomed me, he's bought me back, now I have the opportunity and the ability through his power to love others. First John 4:19, we love because he first loved us. God's love in Scripture is highlighted as the standard of love for friendships. John 15, 13, greater love has no one than this, that someone laid down his life for his friends. It's a standard of love for friendships. God's love is shown to be the model of love for marriages, Ephesians 5 and verse 25. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. I want to encourage some of you who who are growing, and all of us married couples should be growing in this opportunity. To love as Christ loved the church, especially us as men, as husbands. That's the specific command. That we would love others, that we love our wives as Christ loved the church. Just this week, I was was so encouraged, but also reminded of the importance of this picture. You may remember Ephesians chapter 5, it says, you know, beautiful is the mystery, and it's the mystery of Christ and the church, and the, the husband and wife are to reflect that to the world. So marriage is supposed to be like this, this visible image, this ongoing illustration. Sometimes it lasts 20, 30, 50, and if, if life doesn't you know, come before it, maybe sometimes even 60 years. And that should be a living testimony of Christ's love for the church. I was encouraged this week, You know, some of the students said, uh, as we have observed some of the marriages in, in the church and seen how, how husband and wife work together and they, they seem to truly enjoy each other and they, they love each other and they share even their finances. This is like a dream marriage for us. And I quickly said, well, it's not because we're, we've got it all figured out, but it's because this is part of the evidence that Jesus Christ does in the life of a person as we're submitted to him, as we strive for holiness, as we respond in awe to God's love for us and all that he's done for us. And that he, he gave his precious blood for me. He didn't barter. He didn't toss me around. He wasn't a noncommittal look. No, he, he pursued me and he saved me and he redeemed me. So as a result of that, then through God's love, I can love Kim and Kim can love me. And sometimes that's harder. You know, I think that side's harder than my side. But God gives her the grace to, to love me in return and we can model, hopefully, christ in the church in a imperfect but hopefully visible way and some of you couples have done that and others have noticed and have said and even mentioned yeah this couple and that couple and we've seen this and it's a dream marriage praise god it's because of jesus christ god's love is stands out as an example of love for parents to follow look with me in luke chapter 15 The prodigal son, and he rose and came to his father, but while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, bring quickly the best robe, put it on him, put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate. Why? For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found, and they began to celebrate. That is a beautiful example of parental love, how it should be for our children. This son had not gone off and done great and worthy things, this son hadn't gone off and, and made his dad proud. But yet, in, the, in a symbol and an illustration of salvation, the father was waiting ready to show love, ready to forgive, ready to celebrate. I've shared with some of you, and I won't go through the whole story, but I, I, I will forever, I think, be affected by my dad's response to my middle brother when he was kicked out of college. And I was in high school, and when he came, when he came home, and his dad was taking me home from ball practice, and he says, you know, Jonathan's home. And I'm like, oh, great, Jonathan's home. He's like, no, Jonathan's home. I'm like, well, what do you mean? He was kicked out of college. Oh. Okay, I did not see, thankfully, my dad, although I'm sure this was a mix of emotions for him as pastor of the church, as president of our Christian school there, I'm sure there was a mix of emotions, but I I did not see dad look at Jonathan and go, what have you done, you idiot? You've been kicked out of a Christian college. How do you think that leaves me as pastor of the church and all of this? I mean, what what are you thinking? You're stupid. Go off and find your own? No. He said, son, we're gonna work together. We're gonna work through this. And every day he would meet with him and do a Bible study and pray with him and slowly Jonathan's heart began to change and he was repentant and, he, and through that process, I believe if you were to ask Jonathan today, he would look back at that time frame in his life and that was a turning point for Jonathan Huffman. And he loves God and he loves my dad and they're together today in large part, I think, because of that response. That's just a small illustration of God's perfect love for us. It's an example of parents to follow. But not only should we love because God loved us first, we are to be channels of God's love to others. John, 1 John chapter 4, verse 20, if anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, man, this is, these are strong words. It says, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. 1 John 4, 21, this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother and sister and Christian coworker and other One Hope participant and wife and husband, and you, you put it in there, but that is a command of God. As I've had the opportunity to visit different Countries of the world and even different areas of, of our country here, there's, it's been evident at times to be able to identify people by their dress or by some accessory that they have of what religion they follow. Hindus in Indonesia that I was just there recently you know, the brightly colored cloths that they would wear when they were going to the temples and doing their ceremonies. And often as they would walk away, I noticed they would have rice on their forehead or, or, or even on their chest. And so immediately you could identify they're Hindus. As we saw Muslims in Indonesia and many other Islamic areas, by their, by their dress you can identify, okay, they, they are followers of Islam. The Sikh men in Punjab, India, when we were in the northwestern part of India, there, there are five Ks that Sikhism or the men that follow the Sikh religion are to follow. Uh, the kesh, which is the long hair, the kara, which is a steel bangle that they wear around their wrist, the kacha, it's a special undergarment that they wear, the kanga, it's a comb that they have in their hair, and then even a kirpan. Uh, that is a, a ceremonial dagger that they 're supposed to wear under their their robes um, and, and the, the turban all of these things are the five ks that daily they 're supposed to wear so as we as we went around in northwestern India and in Punjab, we could identify okay they are followers of the Sikh religion, as we spent you know many much time in brazil but i 've even seen this here in the United States as the uh, the rosary beads, maybe it's a, a bumper sticker on the back of a car or draped around a rear view mirror uh, or maybe even held in a pocket or in a purse. That's identification of, okay, that person is, is Catholic. So what identifies us as followers of Christ? What has Christ said? Okay, do this or wear this or, or display this and people will know that you're followers of Christ. Well, it's not It's not the fish emblem on the back of your car, although that may be good, but it's not that. It's not wearing a church t-shirt like Caleb, but that's great. It's not carrying around a One Hope thermos. It's not even giving out tracts. What do we see here? I want want to show you this as we close in John 13 and verse 34. Jesus says, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another one another. And then notice what he says in the next verse, verse 35. By this, by your love for one another, by this, all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. Believers, fellow disciples, brothers and sisters in Christ, it's not primarily about our dress. It's not primarily about the, the, the type of Bible we carry around. It's not primarily even about the type of Christian music that we listen to. There's importance there in lyrics and things, but it's not, it's not even mostly about all of those things, but it's pursuing holiness because God is holy. It's responding in love to God's love for he ransomed and redeemed us, and one great evidence of that should be that I love my brothers and sisters in Christ. And as others around me, as they watch my marriage, and as they watch me with my kids, and as they watch me with with you as my my One Hope Church family, and, and others that are around me, they would be able to see that person loves Christ and loves others. We've been challenged to prepare our minds for action, to set your hope in Christ, strive to be holy, to love others with a pure heart. The last few verses of 1 Peter tell us why we can do this. First Peter 1:23 Since you have been born again not of perishable seed but of imperishable through the living and abiding word of God. Just another way to say the living hope. First Peter 1:24 For all flesh is like grass and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers and the flower falls. But the word of the Lord remains forever. And this word, get it, is the good news the gospel that was preached to you. And today, I'm thrilled that I can say this is the good news that is being preached to you. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes as we finish this morning?